Hey, New Life, how you doing today? Does anybody love Jesus today? Yeah. Well, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors at New Life. It's so, so good to hang out with you. I get to share God's word with you today because our lead pastor and his wife, they are on a much-needed vacation. So if you're listening, we love you guys. Please rest. Come back, though. Eventually, please come back. But we love them. We're glad they're, they're having some time, uh, time away. Well, we've been talking a lot at New Life this year about being a kingdom builder, that God has invited every single follower of Christ into building his kingdom. And every week we've been celebrating uh, what we together with the Lord's resourcing us, we've been able to resource God's kingdom and building God's kingdom through kingdom builders. And we are very blessed today to have one of our global outreach partners, one of our missionaries, Kenton and his wife Eunice from El Salvador. So I'm going to invite Kenton to the platform and he's going to come. We're going to get to hear. Give it up for him. You're going to get to hear. Man, so glad that you're here. Thank you. And uh, we're just going to get to hear a little bit about your story. And so first of all, just to just imagine that we are, uh, we've just opened up Google Earth. And if you're in Kearney or North Platte or you live in Ogallala, you know, it just kind of zooms out from there. And kind of zoom us into where you're at right now and what God's invited you to do. Well, you'd have to look really hard to find El Salvador. We're the smallest country in Latin America, but we're the most important country, right? And it's a beautiful country. We have volcanoes. Uh, we have beautiful people there. We have the beaches. We have mangoes that are fresh that fall off the tree, avocados. We also have a lot of what I call opportunity, a lot of need. Mm. And God sent me there 10 years ago to work with the poor, those that are poor economically, those that are poor spiritually, those that are poor emotionally. And in the last 10 years, God has done incredible things. We, we founded a church called the Open Door Church. And there at the church, we're, we have about a third of our congregation is children, another third youth, and another third adults. And we call it a prevention program. Because many of you have heard that El Salvador has the MS-13 gangs, the 18th Street gangs, and it's a tremendous problem in our country. But we feel like God can use us to transform lives. We started a clinic at the church, the only clinic in the area. We also have what we call the Center of Hope which has a, uh, an English academy, a music academy, and also a culinary arts school. And in addition, we also have the Hosanna School, which we started six and a half years ago, and it's grown from 132 students to 437 students, kinder four through high school. And education is a tremendous way of changing uh, children's lives, Christian education. And one of the interesting things there is we have the children for several hours a day. We, we teach them Bible verses, uh, a new Bible verse every week. I guarantee our children at our school know more Bible verses than most people in this congregation probably. Wow. Because that's what, that's, and that's shining faith into their lives and into the lives of their families as well. Yeah, and Kenton, you mentioned... Uh, you mentioned so, uh, uh, economic poverty, you mentioned emotional poverty and spiritual poverty. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit more about that and what, are, what is God enabling you to do and how can that relate to us that live, most of us live here in Nebraska? 
you know, sometimes we, we equate a poverty, a poverty with what we have in our wallet. Mm -hmm. And uh, some feel poor, some don't feel quite as poor. But in El Salvador, people are poor economically, they're poor uh, emotionally, and they're, they're poor spiritually. One of those, I have, a, I have a prayer card here in my hand, which we'd love to give you after service. We have several children on the back that one of them is Alfredo. Alfredo is a young boy, skinny, uh, comes from a gang family. We built a, a wooden home for him just like your church helped us do last year, and uh, got him in our school. And Alfredo is somebody that's emotionally in poverty, mm. and he doesn't have anyone that's around his life. All he sees is a negative uh, things. But you know what? Alfredo started coming to our school, started coming to our church. He sits with me on the very front row, just like you sit on the front row, and he'll watch me. And if I raise my hand to worship God, he raises his hand to yeah. worship God. If I, if I weep when I'm, when I'm worshiping the Lord, he'll start crying as well. And God is transforming Alfredo's life and the life of his family as well by faith because we're investing in him. Mm. And that investment, whether it's economically, whether it's spiritually, whether it's emotionally, always brings a harvest. Yeah, that's good. You know, we as new lifers in Nebraskans, right, we, we play a part with you. We're, we call you our partner. Can you speak to what, what does that partnership mean in God's kingdom? How is new life, how can we be more aware of our partnership with you and what does that look like for you? Well, one thing is that you, through your Kingdom Builders program, you're building the kingdom all around the world and that's so important to, to realize I can reach out through my prayers, I can reach out through my giving, and I can reach out through going. And we really encourage you to do all three. There's no reason that everyone here in the church couldn't participate in that way. And we're simply your hands extended in El Salvador. We're reaching out. Maybe you don't speak the language and uh, you don't know the culture, but we do. And God sent us there. And so we're just that, that instrument uh, of new life in El Salvador. But it's all, it's all call, uh, calls for more participation than that. It's not just putting a $5 bill in the offering when the missions, you know, for missions. It's going. It's being. It's also uh, reaching out here in, in Kearney. It's reaching out in North Platte. It's reaching out in... Ogallala. Ogallala. Boy, that's, that's harder than Spanish for me. But you know what? <laughs> it is reaching out in all those three places. It's going across the street as well and, and being a friend. God's brought the mission field actually to Kearney, actually here to Nebraska. And you can be a missionary right where you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, so God may have different assignments as far as where, but we've all been called to partner with the Holy Spirit's work of influencing people for God's kingdom. Right? You're, you're so right. God called me when I was a little boy. Yeah. And, and in a service like this one, in a, an Assembly of God church, it doesn't matter the brand name. But you know what? Uh, my parents probably didn't realize what God was going to be doing. I'm the first missionary, first pastor in my family. And God took me to learn another culture, learn another language. But God has you right where he wants you to be or right next to where he wants you to go. And you can be that difference and make a, a, a transformation in the life of somebody you work with, that you go to school with, that's your neighbor. God wants to use you in that way and you become a kingdom builder as well. You know, one of the cool things, I don't know if I told you this, but this year alone, we have so far a little over, I think the number is 40 or 41 people going on a global outreach trip for the very first time. 
And, and the, reason, the reason why is because of what you said, it will change your life, right? So if you could speak to people who have never been, and maybe they're considering it, or maybe they've totally, you know, they've blown it off. They said, no, that's not for me. What would you say to them about going on a global outreach trip, a missions trip? Man, you got to go. One, you got to come visit us in El Salvador. How many would like to go to El Salvador? There you go. And you know what? You need to go on a trip, whether it's to Alaska or Honduras or other parts of the world. It'll, it will change your life. You'll come back different. One, you'll appreciate what you have. One, you'll appreciate, uh, two, you'll appreciate your church. And three, your life will be changed on how you view the world and how you pray for others. And I really encourage you. Don't feel like finances, don't feel like language, don't feel like culture is a barrier to that. God can supply all of that. God will use family and friends to supply the money. All you need is a passport, and God can use you in a tremendous way. We are talking with people in between service that went to El Salvador last year. They're friends for life. And others were telling me of other places that they had gone. And I, I want to say a missions trip will make you a missionary. And do it. Sign up. Be part of what new life is doing around the world. Yeah. So if you are a kingdom builder, participating in kingdom builders through giving and praying, you are a partner. We're a partner together with the Moody's. And so we want to thank you for doing that. If you're considering, you know, getting involved with kingdom builders, stop considering and get involved with building God's kingdom. We get, to, we get to meet great people like yourself. And so you have prayer cards. We're gonna make sure, North Platte, that we get a stack of those out to you uh, because they won't be at that campus, but we'll get those cards out to you. And just talk to us a little bit about, about the card and how we can, beyond giving, how can we pray for you? Well, one, we tell people to put it on the refrigerator or in their Bible, whichever one they visit the most, okay? And so you decide. And uh, <laughs> lift us up. We need prayer for protection. We have, we have gang members as neighbors. And uh, we need prayer for favor. We need prayer for anointing as we work in the youth prisons right now. We need prayer for finances as we're building the center, the rehab center and transition center for gang members. We believe that God is going to transform El Salvador one person at a time. And he's using us to do it. And he's using you as well. Well, we love you. We're proud of what God's doing through you. And, uh, man, we're glad to be a partner with you. And we just say thanks. Thanks on behalf of the other missionaries. Thanks on behalf of us and the people in El Salvador for caring and for loving. Yeah, we love it. Hey, by the way, Pastor Jeff, he brought me some home, homemade coffee. So take that, all right? I, I, might, I might share some, but we love you. Yeah, I, I love missionaries. I grew up in the church. I grew up having missionaries come to our church and see them as heroes, and I hope you do as well. Well, we are going to jump into our series called King Me. Everybody say King Me. You know, we have a choice that we make every single day in, in our life when we get up is who is going to be the king of my life? Are we going to say to the Lord, king me, <laughs> I'm in charge, or are we going to allow him to be the Lord and leader of our life? And so there are really two big questions that we're dealing with in king me. And it, again, it's that question, who is going to be my king? Who's going to be the leader of my life? And then the second question we're dealing with is what type of leader, what kind of leader is God calling me to, de me to be? And so I'm really going to deal today with that second question is uh, what kind of leader am I supposed to be? How, so raise your hand 
If you're in North Platte and Ogallala, if you desire to be a godly leader, let me see your hands. You'd self-identify. Some of you are not raising your hands, so either you don't want to be a godly leader or you don't want to be a leader at all. How many just don't want to be a leader, right? I don't want, I don't want to be a leader. Well, I hope all of you desire to be a leader because a leader is simply somebody who influences someone else. And I hope that you want to be a godly leader. So a person that is godly, that influences people in a godly way. Every single one of us who are Christ's followers are called to make disciples. In other words, influence people for the cause of God's kingdom. So I hope all of you, by the time you leave, at least have a desire to be a godly leader. And so I'm going to give you right up front my whole message and so if you just write, can write real quick, in 30 seconds you can take off, all right? Here it goes. A godly leader is broken for the lost, is moved to prayer, is quick to obey, experiences the supernatural and shares the win. A godly leader is broken for the lost, is moved to prayer, is quick to obey, experiences the supernatural and shares the win. And we're going to see this in the life of our central character for this series, King Me. His name's David. And David is um, best known for his role as king or his authority as king over Israel. And we're in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and it's this moment where he's not the king because before David was king, another guy named Saul was king. Now, Saul started out to be a godly king. He started out his kingship honoring the Lord, but there was this slow fade in his life until one day his heart was exposed and he completely blew off God, disobeyed God, exposed to everybody who is reading, who today is reading about his life, that he thought he knew better than God. Parents, have you, ever had, uh, have you ever had this issue with your children where they began to act out that kind of heart that they know better than you, right? That you've told them to do one thing or you've led them one, uh, one way and, and they said, you know, I know more than mom or dad. How many, is just me? I'm the only one with teenagers in the house, right? That they know more than you. Well, well, sometimes we expose our heart of independence and Saul, uh, you know, by the way we treat God or the way we obey or disobey God. And Saul exposed his heart. God had told him to do one thing and he went the other way. I don't have time to get into that story. But it wasn't just one moment in his life. It was a buildup to where this was exposed. And the, the result was that the Bible says that God rejects Saul as king. And God sends the prophet to find this shepherd boy named David. He anoints him or sets him apart to be the king. But David is not yet the king. He's, he's gotten the calling. He's, he's been prayed over, right? He's been promised the job, let's put it that way. But he's not yet the king. And so it's during this in-between time and Saul and David had this roller coaster relationship where Saul loves David, then Saul wants to kill David, and it's one of those moments where they're on the outs. But at this point in the history of David, his ascension to the throne, David has a huge army, 600 men. And David and 600 men, they're basing out of a city called Ziklag. Everybody say Ziklag. Ziklag. Come on, Ziklag. I had you say that because it's just fun to say, all right, Ziklag. And that's their hometown right now. And, and we catch up with them when they're away from home, three days away from home. They think they're going to go into this other battle. And then it gets turned around, and now they have to go back home. 
And they come back home, three days' journey. They're exhausted from all of the drama and the traveling, and they come home to find that the enemy army, an enemy army had come in, had raided the city, burned it down. In my mind's eye, I see it like they come into town and they see everything's just smoldering and the smoke has gone up. They don't see anybody. They don't find their families dead, but their families have been abducted. They've been carried away. They've been taken away. All their wives, sons, or daughters. So put yourself in the shoes of David and his army of, of men who've been out fighting. They've been tra- they travel for three days. They come home. Your, your, your hometown's burned to the ground. Your house is burned down. Your family, they've been kidnapped. And this is what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 4. So David and his men, they wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. And we all, if we could put ourselves in their shoes, we could only imagine how we would feel in that scenario. And I I think all of us would agree we would do the same thing, right? If If our wife, if our son or daughter or family have been abducted, our our home was burned down, I mean, we would be overwhelmed with this emotion. We'd be worn out physically. The closer the relationship, the greater the pain. And so they, they came to this, David comes home and his own wife and, and children have been abducted. And, you know, sometimes we can hear stories. And in fact, I, the other day, my daughter, uh, she asked me if I heard about this story in the news, this tragic story in the news. And, and I hadn't heard. She told me the story. And what I noticed was that I didn't feel the tinge of pain that I should feel. You know, we can become inoculated when we hear so much in the news that's elsewhere, and we can begin to react like, oh, that's too bad. Isn't this world a bad place to live? And, you know, bad people are out there, and we can kind of just blow off that a real person, a real family faced this tragedy. And it's easy that we can get to this place where we're not moved. And I think even in my preparation for this message is one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit, you know, let me feel his conviction that I was not moved in that moment. But if I were to bring that scenario of what happened back to my family and that happened to me, if it happened to you, we would be moved with emotion. We would be moved to tears. We would be broken. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is calling godly leaders to be moved to be broken for those who are lost. In fact, it's the Holy Spirit's work. It's not, it's not a, a role, my role, to guilt you into feeling bad. It's the Holy Spirit's role that he wants to do a breaking within you, a breaking where you are moved for those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So for heroes like our missionaries, like the Moody's, this is a part of their story where God is so moved in their heart, move them with the, the spiritual and the physical and emotional poverty of the people in El Salvador, so move them that something had to happen, something had to come out of their life. You see, a godly leader is broken for the loss. We're, we're not inoculated to the fact that our family members, our coworkers and people around us, the people in communities around us are lost, they're dying separated from God. There should be something as a leader that 
that, that seeks the heart of God, that we are broken for that. And we can show you pictures. We could take you on a, on a global outreach trip and let you see firsthand the, the physical needs, the emotional needs. We could take you to an orphanage, and I guarantee you, you'll be moved. You'll be moved. There'll be an emotional response that happens in you. But for godly leaders who are pursuing the heart of God, it transcends an emotional response and an emotional uh, behavior or an action. It transcends that and there's a, a spiritual behavior that comes out when a godly leader is broken for the loss. Look what David did in verse 8. David inquired of the Lord. In other words, David, he went to prayer. And he said, shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? And here's the response. He gets back from the Lord. Pursue them. He answered, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And so let me just ask you a question. When you don't know exactly what you're supposed to do, what do you do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Now, David certainly, given his, his story, given his history, he could have come up with a couple scenarios of what he should do. And there could be this kind of vengeful justice that, that would come out of him that he, instead of praying, he just went out and acted on his own behalf. But what do you do when you don't know what to do? Saul... The king, just a few chapters, I believe two chapters before it, chapter 28, saw his face in this enemy army, and it says he was terrified he didn't know what to do. And he got to the point where he ended up consulting a psychic to figure out what he was supposed to do because he didn't have the perseverance to keep praying until God gave him direction. But what do you do when you don't know, to, know what to do? And some years ago, I, I heard this, this quote, and, and it's, it's stuck with me. I'm going to share it with you. It says this, when, when a man or woman of God doesn't know what to do, they know what to do about not knowing what to do. Does it make sense? When the man or woman of God doesn't know what to do, they know what to do about not knowing what to do. A godly leader is moved to prayer. A godly leader recognizes, I don't know what to do, but I know the one who can lead my every step. I know the one that can give me peace and grace to walk out the path that I need to walk. I know the one that has the answer. When a man or woman of God doesn't know what to do, they know what to do about not knowing what to do, and it is seek the face of God through prayer. Church, God's calling every single one of us who are followers of Christ to prayer, to engage him in prayer. And so it's one thing to be moved to tears, to have an emotional response, to hurt for those who are hurting. And if I'm the leader of my life, then, then I could get off the track big time and, and I can make my own choice of what I'm going to do based on my emotional response, based on my intellect. I can, I can choose what I'm going to do. But David shows us why he is known as a man after God's own heart. He prays. He seeks God. God, what? am I supposed to do? But it doesn't stop there. David trusts the leading of God and 
and puts God's plan into action, God says, go after them. You're certainly going to have the victory. He puts his plan into action. And as I've been studying out this story, I've tried to put myself again into David's shoes. And I think that if there were telephones back then, and if I'm David, if I could, if I could try to find out who is responsible for taking my family, I think before I set out on this journey, there might be a phone call. A phone call might go something like this. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. How many men are with me on the phone call? Might go something like that. <laughs> but there's something, I, I think, beyond just male testosterone that should well up within every godly leader that moves you to action on behalf of those that, that are bound, that are lost, that are chained. And verse 9 tells us, the 600 men, David and 600 men, they take off on this rescue mission. You see, a godly leader not only is moved to prayer, but when they get the marching orders, is quick to obey, even in the face of opposition. And so this amazing story. They go part way uh, with 600 men, 200, 200 of them. They've just finally, they've had it. They're exhausted physically. They've had it. They can't go any further. And the Bible says that the 600, you know, comes down to 400 who are able to go into battle. So 200, you know, they decide to set up camp and they become the supply camp. You know, they're going to guard all the gear. They're going to they're be the supply camp for the 400. David's the leader. He takes 400 men. And through some crazy, you know, movie-like twists in the story, he finds the raiding party. And check out what happens in verse 17 of 1 Samuel 30. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. And watch this. And none of them got away. Now, I know this is translated from Hebrew, but how many is none? None is none, right? And I checked the Hebrew. None means none. All right, just so you know. None of them got away except 400. All right, so does that make sense to you? None of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. In other words, this is a, a grammatical exaggeration. The army was so big that none of them got away except 400, meaning 400 was piddly when it came to the army. Right? Are you tracking with me? The odds were overwhelmingly against David and against his army. But you see, when God calls you because you've been broken for those who are abducted, those who are lost, when you've been moved to prayer and then God gives you the instruction, God will enable you. When God has called you, he will enable you. When God has called you, he will enable you. Can I get an amen today? He will enable you. He will empower you. He will resource you. And so they go and they attack the enemy, and, and, and none of them got away except for 400. You see, a godly leader gets to experience the supernatural when the odds are overwhelmingly against you. 
When you follow after God, you get to experience the supernatural. I'm not guaranteeing you that you will physically survive a battle, but you will experience the supernatural. And so the question is, what is it? What is the insurmountable obstacle that you're facing in your life, the the challenge that God's placed in your heart, the dream that seems so impossible, the calling that God wants you to fulfill in your life, or maybe it is an actual physical battle that that you're facing. What is it in your life? And and then the answer to the question, is anything too big for God? If God's called you to face it, is he big enough to empower you to face it? You've got to settle that question in your heart. What is it that God is entrusting to you as a leader? If you want to be a godly leader, what is it that God's entrusting to your influence? Won't God enable you? So David, he he brings all of the families back. And I'm blown away by this part of the story. This is a miracle. All of the families, it says none were lost. And I believe that that's the kind of faith that God desires for us to have when it comes to our families, that none would be lost, that there would be such a perseverance and a faithfulness or faith that none would lost, that we would believe, God, none would be lost. So they took, the Bible says, from the enemy, because this was the bonus, They took all of the the flocks and the herds. In other words, they killed everybody except the 400 young men that got away on some camels. But all of their stuff, in other words, all of their money, they got to take home with them to Ziklag. They get back to the camp with all of the, the spoils of war. And the Bible reveals that among the 400 men, there were some there that were, were, in fact, the Bible says they were evil. They were wicked. They were mercenaries, probably. They were just in it for the money. And so there's this jealousy that they have for these guys that stayed back, the 200, that they called lazy, that they shouldn't be able to partake of the spoils of war. They were, they were campaigning for David to only reunite them with their, their family members and then send them on their way. But why should these people get anything? But they were not being lazy. God had simply, and I want you to catch this, God had simply not given the 200 the grace to go to the front lines of this particular battle. There were, other, there were other instances where they fought side by side with the, the men who went into battle. But at this moment, for some reason, God had not given them the grace to go into battle. But they served a very strategic and important role of being at the supply camp, being at the resourcing center. So these guys were demanding that these men only be reunited for your families in the let's split ways. And look how... This godly leader, David, deals with that. He says, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what, watch this, with what the Lord has given us. See, they were thinking, this is ours. This is what we've done. You can't do that with what God has given us. He has protected us. He has delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? 
The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. You see, a godly leader shares the win. A godly leader shares the win. David felt so strongly about this that that, from that point on when he became king, this was the law. This was the law. Now, here's the point. God is going to enable you. God will enable you, give you the grace to do exactly what it is he's called you and wants you to do. There is no role greater, though, though when I see people like the Moody's, they to me are my heroes. I love the grace that God has given you know, Kenton to go to leave his, his homeland, to adopt a new homeland. They are to me heroes. But in God's kingdom, there is no one greater. The one that goes or the one that God's given the grace to be at the supply camp, to be the sender, to be the one that prays, to be the one that stands in the gap. And for sure, there will be people at that supply camp that God's going to call up at some point, send out. The point is this, that we are on the same team. We get to share the same victories, the victories that we get to hear about. And I hope those of you who are in here in Kearney in the lobby just, just mob the Moody's to, to, uh, to pray for them, to love on them, and to ask them to tell you the stories of what God is doing. We get to share, as kingdom builders, we get to share in the victory of all of that. Isn't that exciting? And so... If God has called you to do something, he's going to give you the grace. He's going to enable you. And you better go. You better do it. Now, we've got to be careful. Because if you're like me, I can talk myself into and out of a lot of things and say that's God. But it's me talking myself into or out of. I want to be very, very aware of the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we teach this in Growth Track because one of the biggest questions in life is, what is God's will for my life? And usually we mean where and what, you know, and all that. But the, really, the, the deal is that if we walk in the ways of God, we will be in the will of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. In other words, let his ways become your ways. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. If we walk in God's ways, we will be, we will be in his will. We will find ourselves right smack dab in the very will of God for our lives. And so we want to be very sensitive that we're not manufacturing because some emotional experience we have or some guilt or some, some kind of vain idea. But we are walking in God's ways and we trust his leading. And when we do that, he will enable us. And so if God calls you, go. But God might call you. And it to be your neighborhood that you're living in right now. Settle in your heart. Where is it that God's called you to serve? What has he called you to do? And then engage the mission. Mission. He will give you the grace and the strength to engage the mission that he has designed for you. And it is a bonus that we get to be on teams with missionaries. We get to be on the team together. We're better together, amen? We get to be on the same team and we get to share the win. So how to become a godly leader, finally. How do I become a godly leader? A godly leader is broken for the lost. This is just the picture of a godly leader. Is broken for the lost, is moved to prayer, is quick to obey the Lord. Doesn't wait around, doesn't shrink back. 
gets to experience God's supernatural work in them and through them. A godly leader shares the win. That's a, that's a characteristic. That's like a picture of the life of a godly leader. But how do I begin? Do I just do all those things? No, 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 no. The first thing that has to be settled is who is the king of my life? Who is the Lord and leader of my life? That happens when we, have to do, when we deal with the, the, uh, the issue of salvation, if we're gonna trust Jesus to be our Lord and leader. And that happens for the believer every single day of my life. God, today you are the leader. Today I enthrone you. Or we can choose to get up and say, God, king me. I wanna be in charge. If you're a follower of Jesus every single day, who is in charge? Who's leading you? Young people, who's, who's leading you and what you're going to do for your future? Is it just like some test you took, your aptitude test, or some kind of great idea that you have? You want to make a lot of money, or it's where your girlfriend or boyfriend's going to school, and you're just kind of haphazardly figuring out what you want to do with your life? Your life is not your life. Your life is too expensive. You couldn't afford your life. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross to pay for it. So when we are trying to figure out what, what are we supposed to do with our life, it's, it's who owns my life. I better tap into what he wants me to do, where he wants me to go to school, who, wants, he, who he wants me to date and marry, right? What he has called me to do. And us adults can take that to heart as well. God, what have you called me to do? Who have you called me to be? Be the Lord and leader in my life today. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, we thank you. Ah. We thank you that godly leadership is not out of reach, that you have called us to influence our, our friends, our family members, our workplace, and the world, but it's not some, some abstract concept that we just, we just got to get better. You want to do something in us to lead us that we might be the godly leaders you called us to be. You want to develop the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. You want to do a breaking that's beyond emotional, that's beyond human sympathy for people that are hurting and lost. When we engage you in prayer, God, you lead us, you guide us. We are connected to you, the source, the king of our life. God, you, you give us promptings and you give us direction on what we're to do. And when we obey, you come through every time. God, we don't want to take the credit, but we want to give you the glory. And that's sharing the win. We give you the glory. It's not us, it's you. So we want to be godly leaders. Help us to settle every single day who is the king of my life. I pray now for my friends that they're considering the biggest question that they will ever consider, and is who will be the Lord and Savior? Will Jesus be my Lord and Savior? I pray that today before they leave that they would step over that line. They would acknowledge, they would acknowledge that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords that they would simply align their life with what is true, that you are Lord of all. There would be a surrender to you as Savior. I pray that would happen before they leave. We love you today, God, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.